Well, hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux. It is the 12th of September 2010. Look at that. Only 12 days before my birthday when I turn Magnum 44. I believe it is going to be my most macho year. I'm hoping for at least another four chest years would be nice, I feel. I'm sorry there was no show last week. We were deluged with philosophers and thinkers and lovers of wisdom at the Freedom Aid Radio mothership on its slow orbit around the Pluto of the future. So thanks again, everyone, for coming up. It was just wonderful. Uh, I I look forward to these uh, every year. And uh, surprisingly strong singing turnout for karaoke night, which was just great. And thanks, everybody, for making the trip. And uh, we're glad that you had a great time. And thanks, everybody, who sent some very kind thank you notes uh, for the trip. Isabella has crossed the threshold, ladies and gentlemen. She is now doing four-word sentences. And, um, well, I think one of her first four-word sentences, we, we took it to the, to the gym in the summer. They have a, there's a gym near Christina's um, clinic or offices. And um, we took Isabella there during the summer, and it was really empty and dead during the summer. And so she could roam around the gym doing whatever she wants while ostensibly there for a class. She, of course, was the only child who not only wouldn't follow instructions, but generally had no idea what instructions actually were. So (laughs) it was quite a bit different from the other children, as I've mentioned before. But when we went back this last Sunday for the fall session, it was mad, crammed, and busy. And wow, she really didn't like it. She wasn't allowed in the big gym for very, very much. We were in the kiddie gym, which she didn't like. It was very crowded. She had to sort of, we were told three times to keep the child with the group. Otherwise, it's dangerous for her to be roaming around. And so uh, afterwards, Isabella said, Ibia no like Jim. Ibia no like Jim. <laughs> and also Bear Fall Down TV, because uh, there's a commercial where some bear falls down. And that combines a lot of things she likes, TVs, bears, and uh, the always favorite falling down. So, yeah, we're probably not going to put her back. She was actually really great with the crowds at the barbecue. Uh, and I, I was really proud of her. I mean, she was a little slow to warm up, just big, but, when I, of course, I told her all week that people were coming and um, that she needed to really hang on to her binky. And she did. And so there were only minor tussles about the binky, which is good. Uh, and so uh, she was really, really great with the crowds here, but she just didn't like the gym when it was that crowded because then you kind of really do have to get in line and, and follow instructions. And her parenting style, our parenting style combined with her native personality uh, does not, uh, it does not a dictatorship make, does not a rules-based family system make. And so it's going to be quite interesting to see uh, occasional uneasiness about how this is going to play out, but I'm confident that it's all going to work out very, very well. But uh, she just can't be in a structured, uh, a structured environment at the moment, uh, or I guess a hierarchical or top-down. So we'll see where the anarchy of infancy goes, but uh, I'm very excited to see. But she's just doing uh, absolutely fantastically. And uh, she also did complain about the number of large people at the gym, which I can't help but agree with her. So anyway, enough uh, intro. Uh, let's get straight to the questions. I believe we have a caller from... China, the country, not the plate. Is that right? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Steph. <laughs> oh, it's all yours. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, it's really late here. It's like quarter past four. And uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm really nervous. I've, like, I've never done anything like this before. So just putting it out there. 
Understood. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I sent you an email a few days ago. So basically, I'm, I'm in a situation now where, uh, you know, I've been here for about a year and I, I was living with a, a, my girlfriend for the first 10 months here. And, um, well, basically, to, to, to be blunt, it, it sort of turned to shit and broke up with her a couple of months ago. And now I've got my own apartment um, in, a, in an area that's very quiet with not many foreigners. I've basically uh, been going through lots of self self-therapy. I got into David Mackler and, and your website quite a lot and uh, it's been helping a great deal. Thanks a lot. But um, I'm, I've kind of like, I feel like I've kind of hit a wall now and it's it's like I've sort of just scratched the surface, but I can't really go deep and I'm starting to go a bit crazy now and losing sleep and stuff. So I don't, I, I'm probably not a very good environment for it because I'm like really on my own. Um, but, you know, I'm going to try and battle it out. I just, I thought I'd come on here for a chat and see if, see if that would help me out a bit. Sure, sure. I'm sorry to hear. I mean, is, so did you did you go to China to be with your girlfriend or did she come with you or how did that work? Uh, no, not at all. Actually, um, yeah, I was just backpacking. Uh, I've, I've been a big fan of backpacking. Actually, a couple of years ago, two, two and a half, three years ago, before I got into my travel because I needed to escape home, um, I had lots of issues. Uh, you know, I don't don't really need to get into all of that, but we we can. But I, I, yeah, and uh, I just I sort of really needed to escape, and travel was my outlet. So I, I did give you a message, but my friend introduced me to you, and um, I went on your website, and I kind of actually at first, like two three years ago, still living with the parents, like I, I denied you know the truth, and I refused to accept uh, what you had to offer, Steph, which is which is wonderful information. And so at that time, I kind of blocked it out and I got angry and I even sent you a Facebook message and then blocked you from Facebook for, for a while. I'm sorry. I really am. No problem. And uh, No, no. Reason. Listen, I, I understand it's very volatile stuff and it's very challenging stuff, so I appreciate that, but uh, don't, don't give it another moment's thought and uh, please continue. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and then I just, you actually advised against travel before I um, dealt with my issues, which was probably a good thing. I'm, I went and traveled and all I really did was hang out with the other young tourists and um, just get completely wasted every night, to be honest, in multiple countries. I mean, I'm sure I, I grasped some level of, um, you know, some other deep experience, but it's, I, I don't know really. It was really, it was more of a drinking fest, but um, it, was, it was more of my escape. And, and then I, uh, uh, you know, I went back home and worked for a bit. I, I traveled, backpacked around the world for, for close to a year. And I was working as a laborer before at home in construction. I, never, I don't have a degree. I was never academic at school. I kind of took drugs and smoked all through school. So, um, and then, you know, I found myself uh, working construction, saving money, and went on this trip after buying multiple motorbikes, getting bored. I, I went on this big world trip and went back home, worked in construction, and then came overseas again and uh, just decided to stay in, in a country. I love Asia, so I just decided to stay in a country and I chose China and it was kind of a bit, bit spontaneous that way. I did like a, a, an English teaching course. I met my girlfriend there and that was in Thailand and then we moved to, to Beijing together and we lived together for 10 months and, um, you know, the first six months of the relationship and I've learned this since, you know, with the information I've read, it's like the love bomb phase, I guess. It was wonderful. It was excellent. I was invincible. I was on top of, you know, my life in the first sort of four to six months and then it I don't know really what happened it really started going really bad and I started towards the end of the relationship I started uh, sort of 
diving back into this information, which I keep drawing back to, you know, um, psychology and, and philosophy and this kind of stuff, because I, I, I don't know, I just keep going back to it. I find it fascinating. And so I, I got things, I started to realize some truth. And I just, I just broke up with her, not for another girl, not for anything. I broke up with her. And for the last two months now, I've been living in this apartment by myself, you know, teaching English, but basically in my free time, which I, I do have a lot of free time. I've been doing, I've been staying sober for the first time in my life, and that's been a bit of a shock. And I'll go out and I'll go out, and, <laughs> I'll go out and meet my friends. You know, um, uh, well, I went out last weekend, and they all said, "Oh, Nick, you know, where have you been? You know, we've been getting, you know, where, what have you been doing?" I said, "Oh, you know, I've been doing some self therapy," and they all laughed it off and said, "Come on, come have another rum and coke." But it's just kind of like. Oh, I don't know. It's just I I want to I want to battle this out. I don't want to. What I'm scared of, Steph, is falling back into that state. You know, I want to I want to grow through this. I'm I'm sick of being depressed because I wasn't. It's not a happy lifestyle. You know, it's not pleasant. No, I agree. Well, listen. Congratulations on your sobriety. That is a huge huge thing and uh you know for people who've not seen or, or dealt with this kind of stuff these kinds of addictions well it's just it's magnificent i i think you should just be incredibly proud uh you know you'll be able to maintain it i think with the right work you've just added probably 10 to 15 years to your lifespan you've created the possibility for great relationships for love for marriage for all of these so just i just really wanted to to pause because unlike your friends i'm not going to offer you a goddamn rum and coke i'm going to say congratulations <laughs> And well done, because that is a huge, huge deal, and nothing ever to be taken lightly. Thank you, thank you, Steph. Yeah, thank, well, I've, yeah, I've, I've really, really been trying. I, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to fall back into that trap. No. Right, right. Okay, and I'm sorry to hear about things with your girlfriend. It is really tough to try and sort out a relationship while it's breaking up. You know, it's like trying trying to take flying lessons when you wake up and you're approaching the runway or like trying to take driving lessons when you're already skidding. So it's, uh, it's tough. And I, I appreciate your desire. And I think it's a wise one. You know, I think it's a wise desire to try and sort things out before you move forward. And I think that you, it sounds like you're in a pretty good environment. You don't have a lot of distractions. So you can really, really focus on this. Of course, the challenge is, uh, if I understand it rightly, you don't, you don't have access to a therapist, right? No, I don't. I don't. Um, like you said, the, the environment is good in that sense. And in the last two months, it's not just getting over the, the relationship with her. I've realized some really crazy truths about my parents. And, and thankfully, they had the respect to um, to give me some peace for the last month. And I said, you know, mom, dad, I, I don't want to talk to you. I need this time to myself. And it's been it's been really painful. And it still is. But um, they've given me that respect. I just I don't uh, I don't really know how I'm going to talk to them because now that I've learned all these things, I've been reading I've been reading like crazy your website Dave Mackler you know Alice Miller and um, Lloyd DeMas I, I, I heard your audio book with him excellent stuff thanks for that Seth um, so oh, yeah no, I, I don't know <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to approach the folks that's another thing that's sort of been keeping me up at night as well that thought lingering there um, right yeah, you're right the environment for, for like for you know developing the relationship with myself and and having this time to myself it, it yeah it's great because most of the people here don't speak english um so yeah. you, you, it's not like you're distracted by a lot of tv and movies right <laughs> so no nothing like that it's just uh, i teach i teach 
about 16 hours a week and then the rest of the time I go down and you know, just play some basketball and, and read and it's basically just me. So. Right, right. So let me, I want to make sure that given uh, given how late you stayed up or how, I mean, I don't know if you're somewhere between late and early, I think is the phrase. Uh, I want to make sure that you get as much value as possible out of this conversation. Is it my understanding that you're sort of trying to figure out what you can do without a therapist or, or just with the resources that you have at the moment? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of, yeah. Right, right. And... What and I know this is a tough question to ask, and and you may not have an answer, which I completely understand. But have you thought of, or do you have a particular goal? Like, how will you know if you've succeeded? Right. The first, the first thing you should do before you try anything is to say, well, what would success look like? So I just want to ask you, and just off the top of your head, if you haven't thought about it, what would success like? If 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 I give you some of my idiot thoughts and and they're useful, how will we know whether whether you've succeeded? Um, yeah, it's a nice start you off with a nice, nice, easy question. <laughs> uh, so, so wait, so, so let, let me just um, sort of grasp that. What, what you're asking me is, what, what are my goals? Yeah, so let, let's say I say, like, you know, if, if you want to, let's say I was a nutritionist and you, you want to lose weight and you say, okay, uh, I want to lose 30 pounds. Uh, and then we would have a goal where we'd say, okay, you've now lost 30 pounds, and I want to keep it off, right? So you lose 30 pounds, you keep it off for a certain amount of time, and that would be success, right? If you want to become a doctor, your success is whether you become a doctor. If you want to become a lawyer, your success is passing the bar. Because one of the the challenges of self-knowledge, I mean, it is, of course, a continual process. I mean, I'm continuing to learn new, startling, and sometimes quasi-erotic things about myself. And so it is, it is a continual process. But at the beginning, I, I'm just curious, what would success look like to you? What would it look like to have succeeded in a, the pursuit of self-knowledge, just let's say over the next six months? All right. Over the next six months, I, can, I, I think I can give you a pretty honest answer to that. that like, I'd, I'd like to see a serious change in my behavior. I, I engage with people and I'm normally the center of the attention. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all fun and my friends like me for that respect. But it, I really, I have this, um, this way about me around people where I, uh, I'm very sarcastic towards myself and I, I paint a picture of myself that's not true. That's one thing I really want to change. Another thing is, my, of course, my addictive nature to, um, you know, to, to alcohol and drugs. Once I start drinking, that's it. And I'm only 22. So I, because I'm only 22, I really want to deal with this stuff now um, before it's too late, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I hear still you. Got, still got some brain left, so sort of, you know. <laughs> hey, listen, if you're following this show, it's more than some. You, I, mean, I, I really genuinely believe we have the smartest listeners on the planet. And just having had 50 of them up to my house, I believe that even more now. So, uh, okay, so, so you're looking for, like, continuing to, to stay off the drugs and alcohol and to, to refrain from putting yourself down or presenting a more negative or cynical view of yourself than you actually believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I think that last thing is, is really fucking brilliant because one thing that's very true in life is that if you're willing to put yourself down, if you're willing to diminish yourself, if you're willing to make yourself look small – and pseudo-humble, or if you're willing to, to portray the human soul as a drab, greedy, grasping little thing, then you will never be short of popularity. 
because that is the fundamental drug that everyone is after. The fundamental drug that everyone is after, that everyone is addicted to, that is so destructive is smallness. It's smallness. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many times I get attacked for being, quote, grandiose or having high ambitions or, or thinking too highly of myself or whatever. It is really alarming to people if you stop putting yourself down. It is really alarming to people if you stop using all of these sitcom approaches to human nature, you know, where everybody just pretends to be good but is really just after something petty or everybody just – puts themselves down and stays small and doesn't take a stand on anything and rolls their eyes when anything serious comes up. And this, this addiction that we all have to staying small, to staying inconsequential, to staying meaningless, to staying skeptical to our own greater natures. I think it's really, really brilliant and, and powerful for you to have identified that as something that gets you popularity. You'll never be short of people who will praise you for letting them off the hook of their own greatness, of their own potential for greatness. And you will never accumulate more enemies <laughs> than if you offer people greatness and they fail the test. That's an old phrase by Nietzsche that no man will forgive you for failing the greatness that you can offer him. So I just wanted to point out that I think that is a very, very powerful thing that you're doing to refrain from being cynical and skeptical about yourself. I just think that is um, really good. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I did see my friends, I, it was like an automatic switch. You know, when I when I when I saw them recently for the first time in a few weeks, it was an automatic. And they're not real, really real friends here. You know, they're just a bunch of other foreigners that are teaching here. Where I haven't really developed any. This is the thing throughout my whole life. I haven't really developed any close, deep relationships with anyone. And and that's what I'm starting to realize because when I do sit down and talk talk with them you know, try to talk to them on a deeper level. It's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's, I'm, I'm expected to be this person who's, who's lighthearted, who's shallow, who's, um, you know, and, and people laugh when I make these ridiculous jokes to, you know, this prejudice, absolute, this, this complete generalizations, and that's the picture I've been painted to have. And, like, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I realize, like, as, as a child when I was growing up, it's got something to do with my parents for sure. I, I can't, so much of my childhood's blocked out, but like mm. the more I think about it, um, I, I do remember times with, with mum and dad, you know, where they'd, where they'd say, oh, you know, here's our three kids, it's the older boy, and then here's, oh, here's Nick, you know, he's the black sheep, ha, 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 or he's the, you know, it's just like, fuck, I don't know, really, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what to say, yeah. No, I, I understand. The, the people have a, um, you know, I mean, I think families can be absolutely wonderful in terms of helping people and essential, I think, in terms of helping people get um, uh, a free and flexible sense of self. But sadly, all too many families seem to be about uh, keeping people in little boxes of cliches, about keeping people in little coffins of expectation and and uh, conformity like you are x you are the black sheep you are the clumsy one you're the one who talks too much you're the one who whatever right it just be, you're the jock you're the whoever and i think that stuff can be really d dangerous for uh, self-knowledge and for growth uh, so i just wanted to point that out I, I don't think you're alone in that at all and one of the things that was important for me just in terms of personal growth was recognizing that there were people in my life who were strongly committed and invested into a particular vision 
of me or a particular circumscription of who I was and what I was capable of and what I was all about. And if I wanted to outgrow that, I needed to change those people's minds. And if I couldn't change those people's minds, I had to leave them behind. I think that's a choice that everyone makes uh, individually, but that certainly was the choice that worked for me. So I think I really understand you when you say that there's a particular kind of stereotype that those around are holding of you. And then there's this war, this war that goes on. And it's a war usually under the table where you say, I'm not going to be this. I'm going to outgrow this stereotype. And then people try to put you back into that stereotype and it can get quite ferocious at times. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. It's yeah. I mean, like when I recently I've, I've said to them and, and my ex-girlfriend, I've seen her since, you know, I'm, I'm going through this self therapy thing and I've been thinking these thoughts about, you know, my parents and, and, and I'm trying to deal with that and grow through it. And I'm not particularly getting angry at them and blaming them, but it, it, at the same time they did, you know, in a way they affected me and made me narcissistic and obese and addictive to, to, to these things. They, they had an effect on it. My friends would say, you know, Nick, what are you, what are you talking about? Like they did their best. And, and um, what, what's wrong with you, Nick? You're sounding all weird. And, and like, where is, where have you gone? You know, like, what, what we um we loved you the way you were, you know, sort of thing. Like, yeah, get back yeah. in the box, right? Stop asking, yeah, uh, right. Stop asking questions that make me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, right, right. No, I understand that it, it, this is a real battle. I mean, it's a real battle. Uh, that fundamentally, there is no such thing as self knowledge because that indi- that is the indication that the self is a single thing, yeah. right? That. that it's like knowledge of the universe is not one fact or one thing. It's a whole process. It includes, you know, biology and, and chemistry and astrophysics and uh, geology and archaeology and history. I mean, this is knowledge of it. So it's a, it's a multidisciplinary thing. There is no such thing fundamentally as self-knowledge, right? There is simply knowledge about what is, knowledge about what is true, knowledge about what is real. And the truth is that we generally have not one self, but many selves. You have a self that conforms to your family. You have a self that wants to be independent of that conformity. You have a self that wants to do drugs. You have a self that doesn't want to do drugs. You have a self that that wants to get along with your friends. You have a self that wants to outgrow those limitations if they can't be negotiated away. So there is almost like it's knowledge of herself and knowledge of herself is directly involved with knowledge about other people. So when I learned more about myself, I learned a lot more about the impacts that other people had had on me. And so I learned about their nature. When I learned about myself, I began bringing that truth to those around me. And I learned very quickly how well or how badly they handled the truth or at least my truth about myself. So everything that we learn about ourselves has strong, significant, and deep impacts on our knowledge and our relationship with those around us. So self-knowledge is really everything you learn about yourself, you will then learn about those around you when you bring those truths or those questions or those histories to them. So it is knowledge of, of everything, really. that, And that's why philosophy, I think, is so essential because you can't pursue – the self-knowledge which leads to a knowledge of those around you, which leads to a knowledge of the world as a whole. Like you can't see, you can't see the lies of culture until you learn the truth about yourself and then try and bring that truth uh, about yourself and the world to other people and see how bitterly they can resist that. You don't see the indoctrinations of culture when you're inside it. It's only when you step outside it 
So the pursuit of knowledge with regards to yourself, which is a worthy and noble place to start, I find very quickly turns into the pursuit of knowledge or the discovery of knowledge about everyone around you, everyone around me. Uh, they are revealed through me going into myself. It's almost like the more I learn about myself, almost automatically, the more I learn, whether I like it or not, about other people, if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. That feels like exactly what I'm going through. And it's, it's really interesting because just in the last two months, it, this is why I'm starting to sort of freak out because I can see myself half wanting, like really wanting to go back to the way I was, but it feels like, you know, it, it, I can't undo what I've done now. I mean, I've, I, I've, I feel like I've changed so much in such a short time. It, it, I, I, I really don't know how to handle it properly. I mean, I'm, I've been getting into this, you know, like I, I'm, I'm constantly every day reading psychology. I'm in love with it and philosophy and I just, I can't get enough. And I'm starting, like you said, I'm starting to see everything differently. And half of me has got this overwhelming feeling of freedom and confidence and control. And the other half is just really, really depressed. And I, I, I don't know how, like, does that, does that go, Steph? Does that depression just, like, leave sometimes? Yeah, it, uh, it does. Uh, in, my, in my experience, uh, it does. Um, it is, uh, you know, just, just to speak personally, it, it, it was a, a terrifying and awful precipice, like standing on the edge of a cliff for me. When I finally, finally, I was much older than you are, so again, congratulations to you for, for doing it so early. But when I finally truly began to be myself, I began to get a very strong, overwhelming and terrifying sense of just how committed people were around me to me not being myself, to me conforming to other people's expectations, to me joining them in the cult of smallness that is so much at the root of culture. And so I, I really, I, I think I get it. And I, I'm not trying to put my experience onto yours. I'm just talking about what, what I experienced that when you begin to become who you are and then you try to share who you really are, your true thoughts, your true feelings, not conforming to other people's pleasures and expectations and needs, but to bring who you really are into your relationships. It's like, it's like you're running down a hill towards people who have their arms open and smiles on their faces. And for me, when I then ripped off my mask and my false clothing and I ran down, in a sense, naked and, and who I genuinely was, suddenly those smiles and those outstretched arms turned to shields and to spears. And I felt like I was going to be not just gored, but repelled back, get away. I became something toxic. I became something dangerous to other people. And it was exhilarating to drop the mask. It was exhilarating to no longer feed the drug of other people's expectations with my very essence and my very soul and my very being, to no longer have a continual Aztec self-sacrifice of that which is greatest within me for the sake of other people's need for smallness and pettiness and inconsequentiality. Yeah, it was a, it was a terror, and I felt that exhilaration, but I also felt this anxiety, which was partly mine and also partly other people's. Like they really didn't want me to change. You know, uh, unstable and dysfunctional relationships are all about rigidity. It's like the state. It's like religion. It's all about rigidity. It's not about curiosity. It's not about growth. And whenever you stop 
conforming to that rigidity, you are shaking a significant house of cards that, that really is the souls of others or the soullessness of others. And so when you stop conforming to people's expectations, it threatens their very sense of identity or rather reveals their lack of identity. And that is a very terrifying thing for other people and, and for us. Yeah, that's, well, I feel I'm split, like, half of me, because I'm spending so much time alone, but when I occasionally go back and see these people, I, for some reason, I automatically turn back into who I was, I think. Um, sure, that's very natural. And it, 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 it normally comes after a period of where I start talking about, you know, I've been going through self, uh, self-therapy and getting into psychiatry and, and thinking about things in my life and they'll say oh yeah you know tell me about it and you actually start telling them about that about it and they say oh oh i don't know nick that you know you shouldn't blame other people you shouldn't blah 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 it's like no 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 it's not you know this is this is a growth process this is good for me and they say no 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 it's bad it's whatever and it's just like ah oh. you it's know and then, and, then, and then instantly you go oh don't worry you know and then you make a joke and it's like i'm still me and it's kind of like a defense it's kind of like don't worry, I'm still me. You don't have to be because I, it, it, I, I kind of want them in my life because it's it's all I've got, you know. Sure, sure. I totally um, understand. But at the and, same and time, I don't think I don't think I mean personally I don't think you should feel bad for doing that. I think that's a perfectly natural response. You know, part of us wants to be who we genuinely are without lies, without subterfuge, without evasion. And part of us really wants a community of people around us for very sensible and useful reasons. I mean. Uh, my wife and I are raising a very high-energy, high-intelligence, exciting, challenging daughter with no help, with no extended family, with, with virtually no friends. Uh, it's, it's hard. It is hard, hard, hard. But I have to go with our good friend Nietzsche here, right? He says something like, if you, if you become who you truly are, you will often feel alone. You will often feel frightened. You will often feel horrified. But no price is too high for the privilege of owning yourself of being who you are. And uh, that's what comes out of it in the long run. But there certainly is a seesaw battle between hope and despair for quite uh, quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I really want to get through it because I'm scared of falling back, falling back, like taking steps backwards and just getting on the drink and turning into who I was, you know. And, I don't and there will to... be people in your life who will feel some relief at that. Maybe not consciously and maybe not malevolently, but it seems likely that there – I mean, if you've had that and people haven't moved heaven and earth to stop that, then it may be, there may be people in your life who, who will prefer that for their own reasons. Basically, everyone I know I think would prefer it if I, if I kept going out on the weekend. I'm, I'm a, a source of entertainment, and they say it proudly, you know, and I, and I hate it because for some reason I just get into these old stories of things that I'm ashamed of. And I'll say it openly to people I you know, first meet after I've had a few drinks. And it's, it's nothing to be proud of. You know? And afterwards, I've, yeah, I'm really depressed about it. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to be that person basically. But, um, uh, yeah, I really hope Right, I but there's a lot of pressure to be that kind of person. And it's what you know. It's the language. It's like... I said this before, it's like learning a new language. You constantly want to slip back into learning your old, into using your old language because that's easier. That's what you speak and trying to learn a new language. As you know from being in China, I mean, if you met 10 people who spoke English, you'd probably socialize with them and speak a lot more English, right? Whereas if you don't have those people around, you're kind of forced to learn this new language. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard going. <laughs> for it sure. is. But I've found, though, 
interesting. I'm teaching kids, and I absolutely love my kids. And in a non, you know, don't analyze that word too much. I mean, what I mean is I, I, I really feel a deep empathy for the kids I teach. And, um, you know, I found in the last month or so, I've really started to, to have a better connection with them. Like, they, they are respecting me more. It's four- and five-year-old kids, you know. And I don't know how that happened, how that came about, but just in the last two months, I've noticed a big change in that, where instead of going into a class hungover, you know, I'm now going into a class kind of, you know, fresh and sober and thinking and, and really responding to what they're saying straight away. And they, they, uh, they seem to, you know, come into class and say, hi, Nick, you know, really happy to see me now. So I've noticed a big change in that way, which is a positive out of this. Huge. And, uh, you, you know, by being real around children, you are, you are having a very large effect, even if you never speak about a single idea with them. By just being real around children, you are giving them a, a possibility that they may not get in any other particular way. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, as you know, you've spoken to um, someone else who's teaching chi- um, kids in China as well. I've heard that podcast. And as you spoke to him, the, uh, the situation here is pretty, pretty bleak. I mean, they, the kids here are treated pretty rough and, you know, to see it firsthand, it's, it's quite harsh, but, um, I, I do my best, you know, to give and them a And you may want to, you may want to sort of say hi to that guy. I, I think he's there without a girlfriend and, and, uh, so you might want to say hi to that guy and, and at least you'll be in a similar time zone. So that might be a little more helpful if you guys had some chats or connected. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I sent him an email last week and he got back to me. So hopefully we're meeting up next week and... I might, you know, make a new friend who actually listens to me. So that's, that's, I'm really excited about that. So, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. So uh, somebody's mentioned in the chat, which I think is a good idea. I, I don't know much about support groups, but uh, places like AA, I don't know if they have any out there. But uh, I've heard that they have some utility, but of course, it's, uh, it's up to you. But I just wanted to pass that along. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's fine. So uh, the, I don't have any huge advice uh, other than... You know, stay off the booze and drugs, of course. If you haven't watched the Bomb in the Brain series on YouTube, uh, I'd strongly recommend that. It talks about self-medication uh, as as a the addiction that results from childhood trauma. I think there's a lot of science and a lot of good uh, medicine in there. Uh, none of it coming from me, of course, because I don't have any particular expertise in those fields, but all of it coming from the experts. So it's um, you can go to fdrurl.com forward slash BIB to watch the series. I'd strongly recommend that. Um, I, you know, keep journaling, keep reading, um, talk to people who get it, uh, wherever you can find them online or offline. Uh, that would be my suggestion. Um, the main chat, chat room. That's pretty much it. Actually, I want to um, say a big thank you to Dave, um, who had a chat with me on Skype as well. He helped a lot as well. And oh, Dave and, B. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Rob. Oh, as the well. man's a champion. The man's a hero. Absolutely. He's cool. Yeah. I mean, so that basically the, the, the freedom and chat chat room has been my savior. It's been my only sanity because I, I've got I've got no one else in, in person. So um, I'm, I really, really appreciate everything you're putting out there, Steph. And, and this chat, surprisingly, even though it's uh, 10 to 5, I, I'm feeling... <laughs> you're energized <laughs> with terror now, right? <laughs> yeah. Even though it's 10 to 5, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling for the first time in a while. So, so thank you. 
All right. And and look, I mean, you can um, uh, you can get in touch with me if you need. My hours can be a little bit all over the map, so it may not be um, too bad for us to chat in terms of the hour switch. But uh, I just yeah, I hugely admire what you're doing. It is it is a hard thing to do. I kind of went into hibernation mode when I was working on this stuff for about two years. I barely dated. Uh, I was just living in a room uh, and going to work. So uh, that's um, uh, I, I understand where you're coming from. So I, I just I hugely admire what you're doing. And uh, there is, beyond light, there is a new world at the end of the tunnel, but I know it's a challenge. Yeah, all right. Thanks a lot, Steph. I really, right, really, really get it. Yeah, cheers. You're absolutely cheers. welcome, and uh, keep in touch. Keep me posted if you can. I will. Cheers. Hopefully catch you on the chat room sometime. Yeah, and the important thing is to become such a great person that your girlfriend for the rest of her life kicks herself for not staying with you. I think that's, that's the motivation that has always driven me. I'm just kidding, but, you know, let's end with a slight joke. <laughs> All right, man. Takes care. And uh, I think we have another caller uh, queued up. Is that right, Mr. J? All right. See you, Steph. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Guess I'm asleep. All right. Good night. Absolutely right. Oh, there he is. <laughs> All right. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah. Mark, I think you're next. Mark. Mark of the Beast. Hello? It's a mime-free call. I should probably have mentioned that at the beginning. Somebody did ask if there were there was video. Uh, I don't know, we don't have that, but uh, <laughs> we, we certainly don't have video, it right now. <laughs> you mean of the of this show? Yeah, yeah, a video because um, the, the we have the video Skype that's coming. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's uh, there's no video just because broadcasting it out to you know however many people are are watching is uh, is more than it's really worth it. Uh, for what it's worth, I did figure out what the problem was. Um, it was something on my end. So uh, next time, we won't have this kind of hang User error? I think that's the first time that software has ever been ascribed to user error. I never, ever really? had that. Really? Yeah. I mean, that, that that has to be a first. It has to be a first. Um, well, I mean, it's we have several people on the call who indicated they want to chat. I mean, there's no particular order, so whoever jumps in, I'd say. Yeah, whoever jumps in, just while we're waiting for that, somebody has um, has a question. Schadenfreude. Healthy or unhealthy? And a Schadenfreude is a form of blood sausage that you actually take rectally. So I would say it really depends on the whether it's frozen or not uh, and how flexible you are. Just kidding. Oh, it is the day hey. for bad jokes. Oh, sorry, are you on? Hey. Yeah, can I jump in? Uh, sure. Can you, okay, you can hear me? Good. Hey, uh, I just want to say how, uh, how much I appreciate what you do. It's changing my life. Um, I was I was gonna ask uh, a question, um, kind of about self knowledge. Uh, do you uh, do you do like dream interpretations? Yeah, I've certainly. Uh, yeah, I've I've done dream dream interpretations in the past. They tend to be fairly lengthy, uh, but uh, uh, I've certainly done them in the past, and they're not really dream interpretations. I don't think there's really such a thing as a dream interpretation. I have a fairly good brain for metaphors, and uh, so when people do talk about dreams, uh, I can sometimes throw in a few uh, thoughts that I have about the dream that can be helpful, if if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, I was I was just wondering. Um, because this one's kind of a recurring one. It happens like every night. And I guess I'll just say the main theme is a car or a vehicle. And 
usually what happens is I'm kind of locked inside and people are trying to get into me or try to attack me and there's like nothing I can do about it. It's pretty frightening. And I was just wondering if you had any insight on something like that. How long have you had the dream for? Uh, probably about 10 times. Um, since, since when? Just over the last couple months. And did anything in particular happen, you know, car-related or anything like that before you began to have these dreams? And this may, not, may have been something you saw on TV or something that you read about or saw a picture of somewhere. No, um, not really. Uh, actually, uh, I got to say, the la last night I had a car-related dream. I was uh, driving around doing um, delivery, you know, as a delivery driver. And uh, anyway, when I finished, my boss called me, who happens to be my mom. And this is in real life. You know, I mean, the dream is a dream, obviously. But she called me and she asked me if I had an accident that I hadn't reported or that I needed to report. And I... I got real angry, real intense, and it really actually surprised me how angry I got. And I just started yelling at my mom through the phone. And it, it really disturbed me because I usually don't get that angry. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, if she has something to do with this or... Well, let's yeah. sorry, let's just go back. Let me show you. So you're, you're in, in the recurring dream. You're in a car and people are surrounding your car and they're trying to get at you, and it's kind of frightening? Uh, they're usually trying to break in. And, now, why don't you, um, uh, just, just to, to I, don't, I haven't seen that many zombie films, but if I remember rightly, the correct protocol at that moment is to hit the gas and just drive through them or over them to, to get away, uh, and you don't do that. Do you know why you don't do that in the dream? No, I don't. Um... It, every time it's a different response. Actually, uh, uh, one one of them that I had, which was very strange, is I was actually in the back of a pickup truck and we were moving down the highway, and uh, this guy jumped into the bed from where, from another pickup truck. We were going 50 miles now down the highway or whatever, and um, I believe my wife was in the car or in the bed of the pickup. And he attacked her, and I uh, I kicked him in the face, and he went flying onto the highway and got ran over by a car, and I just remember how horrible I felt for you know base I basically killed the guy, you know but he had attacked my wife, right. That's interesting, yeah, because I was going to say that the reason why you might not hit the gas in the dreams is that you're afraid of hurting these people who are attacking you. Yeah, uh, that, that could be true. I can see that. Now, I'm just, these are just thoughts, right? So I, I don't know anything to do with your situation. I'll just throw some thoughts out. You can tell me whether they make any sense to you or not. Sure. Now, sometimes when we are uh, in you know, family or work or, or social situations, people can kind of put us down. And then when we confront them, they, they, they're hurt. They're upset or, or they sort of, right. So I used to have a, a friend, uh, uh, many years ago 
who whenever we were in social situations, uh, he would uh, tell stories that were embarrassing but funny about me, like things that I had done that were foolish or things that I had done that were ridiculous or whatever. And I, you know, I don't mind those stories. I think that they can be quite funny. And Lord knows I make as many idiot mistakes as the next person, perhaps even more so. But it did begin to trouble me after a while that this was the sole topic, it would seem. And this wasn't the case when we were in private. When we were in private, he was actually very interested. We, I used to drive him to work. And uh, we were listening to to audiobooks on Jung, and he was really he would he would talk to me about his dreams, and he was really interest, interested in self knowledge. But then when we would get into a social situation, he would kind of turn, and uh, I thought that it was a kind of uh, uh, one upmanship or a leveling where he'd sort of say things to put me down. And yet, when I brought this up with him, uh, he he if I brought this up with him in public, like you know, I think we've we've had enough silly Steph stories. Let's move on. You know, it'd be like, oh well, you can't take a joke. There would be that kind of passive aggressive thing. Oh, when I'd bring it up with in private, he'd, he would sort of pretend to be upset or, or hurt so that I brought it up and misunderstood what he was trying to do. You know, like, hey, I'm just trying to lighten things up. I'm just trying to, I can't believe you would take it that way. I'll be so oversensitive or whatever. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that uh, if you feel like you're being attacked, but you feel like asserting your boundaries, asserting your mobility, asserting yourself is going to hurt the people who are attacking you, and attacking is a strong word, but, you know, thinking negatively of you or putting you down or leveling. If you feel that assertiveness is going to hurt people around you that you care about, then you're kind of in a no-win situation. And dreams, in my experience, dreams that are repetitive are all around no-win situations, right? So I can't stay in the car because I'm going to get attacked. I can't drive over these people because I don't want to hurt them, and so I'm stuck, and so if you're in a situation, you don't have to tell me yes or no unless you want to, right? I'm certainly happy to hear either way. If you're in a situation where you feel that you're not being supported or you're being put down by some portion of those around you, but you also feel like you can't assert yourself without really hurting those people, then you're kind of stuck, right? You're, you're kind of cornered and there's not much that you can do. And that's uh, when I find that the broken record dreams are all about no-win situations. Does that uh, ring ring true? Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Um, they're actually the the relationships. Hole in one! Yay! Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, seriously, the the relationships in my life are kind of falling apart, and part of it, I think, has. To, I'm really into philosophy. I'm really into you know uh, uh, moving towards a voluntary society. I'm I'm real into it, and. Uh, you know, people around me just aren't. And um, a couple examples. Um, I got a friend that I actually live with, and I feel a little bit of a disconnect between me and him. We've been friends forever. And uh, I almost feel like he's trying to sabotage my other relationships in my life. For example, my wife. And I'm not saying that lightly, you know, I mean, that's a real hard thing to say. But, um, and then I've got my parents who, uh, you know, I work for my mom. And uh, just just about six months ago, I, I, I mean, this has been going on for a couple of years where I've really, I was raised and I was growing up and raised in a religion that I really just... Uh, uh, over the last couple of years, I've really kind of gone away from. And 
I've always been real afraid to come out with that. Well, I, I just came out with that about six months ago, and that's been really hard for my parents. And my mom has taken a real passive-aggressive kind of attitude on that, and it's just whenever I'm around her, I feel this negativity. Like, she just cannot accept that. My dad can't accept my philosophy. He cannot accept the non-aggression principle. My dad, he's, he's, he's openly hostile to me. And my mom's, you know, she pretends like she's not, but, you know, the little comments she makes, you know, under her breath are, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm not, I think she's hurt. You know, I, I can't control that because, I mean, I'm not going back to a religion, to a mindset that is just retarded. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I can't find another word to put for it, but uh, does that make any sense? Like, I'm, I'm not really sure how to break through this. Right, right. Oh my God! I mean, I, I just felt, I, I feel so emotional hearing you talk about it. I, I feel teary. I mean, I, I, I feel uh, so sad uh, about about the situation that you're in. Uh, it is, it is tough. And I mean, I, I wish there was a magic healing one that brought illumination uh, to the superstitious, but there isn't. I, I just I, want to make sure. Check. Sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just going to add just one little positive thing. I am not living with my parents. So I, I'm kind of a kind of an old fart. I'm almost thirty, you know. So. <laughs> oh, please, please don't use old fart and still in your twenties because that puts me somewhere. Uh, I think being born in the middle ages. Well, but. It, you know, I'll, I, I do have some uh, some volunteerist friends, and uh, I'm ten years older than most of them. So, you know, I just don't know of anybody that's as old as I am. But you know, I mean, I've I've moved out of my my house and I'm. Yeah, I've got three kids, and I'm kind of establishing my own life, you know, but it's just I don't want to, you know, I, I'm i not sure what to do with this relationship with my parents. Let, let me just check the timing here. So uh, when, did you, when did you come out as an atheist? Um, six months ago, like openly. Right. And, and when actually, did your dreams, you said it was a couple of months that you've been having these dreams. Um, uh, is, is it, do you think it may be related in timing to you coming out as an atheist? I think possibly. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not yeah. like you've had the dreams for five years and you came out six months ago or you came out six months ago and you have the dreams last week. It's, it's somewhere in the vicinity of that time frame, right? Sure. Um, the, the, the one positive note on this, too, is um, my wife, uh, you know, she's been in the same religion that I was in. And um, just about six months ago, she came to me and said, you know what, I've had it with this. This is nonsense. This is bullcrap. And, you know, that gave me a lot of strength to come out for myself. And the one problem with that is she was a lot more open, and she really came out first. And so, I mean, what do you think my parents think when they see her, where huh. she is, and then... You know what I mean? And really, I mean, I've been keeping it in for years, and she hasn't. And she just came to this realization overnight. As far as I know, I mean, I don't know what's inside her fully. You, you know what I mean? But it's just right. like my parents are blaming her uh, for sure. who I am. And, you know, I mean, it, I, my self-esteem is not depending on them. But I wish that they would just let me be my own man. Because everything that I do wrong that they don't like or whatever, it's like I am, I, you know, I'm being influenced by somebody else. 
You know, they right. they they couldn't have raised somebody that would think on their own enough to, you, you know, to maybe reject the principles that they taught me, if that makes right. any sense. Right. I mean, look, um, for, for a parent to reject, sorry, for a child, to, uh, for an adult child to reject a parent's false beliefs is, is a mark of good parenting. I mean, if, uh, the things that I believe that are false, which I'm sure there is, there's a number, uh, I, I would not consider it a success as a parent if my daughter were never to reject those false things. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, I've put an argument out that homosexuality is biological in nature that I've gotten from a number of magazines, articles, and books. But let's say that it's proven false. Well, then I'll retract, and uh, I would hope, I would certainly hope that my daughter would then abandon that belief, uh, since it was wrong, and uh, and uh, accept whatever new uh, evidence and and rationality was there. So, uh, but let me ask you this: Is are your parents able to to let go of the topic of of religion uh, with you, or does it keep kind of coming up in these little barbs? It it comes up like. I mean, okay, for for example, uh, I, I think my wife lost her wallet the other day, and and she uh, she said something to the effect of, well, you know, you'll you'll find it if you pray, you know, and uh, I right. just, and they know I, that I you're an atheist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, just by saying that, I almost think that's that's a little passive aggressive because they know where I'm coming from. It's just like, what is she trying to communicate with me by saying that? You know what I mean? It's like, so I didn't really give that much of a response, you know, and then she goes over to my wife and she's, and she starts talking, you know, uh, about me and about how, you know, I was rejecting her advice and that maybe she would accept the advice to pray about her wallet or whatever. And I mean, yeah, we found our wallet and we found it by tracing our steps from the night before. Um, believe it or not, that actually kind of works sometimes, you know. Uh, oh, no, I know. Yeah, absolutely. That, putting that out there. So, Right, right. Right. Well, then there is a kind of repetition in this, right? In that they're simply, they're acting as if you haven't lost your faith, right? Yeah. It, you know, and that and that could be like, I'm. I'm just. I'm just. I want to see this from their perspective. Obviously, um, you know, if they. I, I mean, it's like one thing that I've I've learned is that people they have their little lens that they see through, and you can smack them in the forehead with something, and if that does not fit in their worldview, then they will not accept that they've just been smacked in the head. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's like. How can I communicate to them the way I feel, uh, you know, nicely, gently, peacefully, and effectively? And and how can I how can how can I mend this? Because, you know, I, like I say, I'm not going back to it, and that wouldn't be a mandate anyway, because that doesn't really take care of the problem. That's just me submitting to their nonsense. So, right. Yeah. Right. Well, um, I can tell you what I think. Uh, of course, nobody can tell you what to do in this kind of situation, but I can tell you what thoughts have occurred to me. Okay, cool. Um, uh, is, it, is it unfair to say that uh, – sorry, the people who are crowding around your car in the dream, uh, can, uh, I get an image of zombies, which is not to say that they are, but are they 
like, what is their status? Are they just people who, like, can you not reason with them? I mean, are they going, brains? I mean, what is, what is the status of the people around you? You ran your car in your dream. They're, they're not rational. <laughs> I don't know how to, you know, it's, it's like there's something they want from me. Um, I wouldn't call them zombies necessarily, but they are very intent on, you know, violating me somehow. And I'm not talking like sexually, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I understand. You know, I understand. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're real intent on breaking in, on stealing stuff from me, from beating me up, or whatever it is they want to do. You know, I mean, so. Well, look, I mean, this is, this is the challenge. And you understand, these are all just my opinions, right? So I'm just some idiot on the internet, but I'll throw out these opinions and you can see if they make any sense, right? I have always found that people who do not respect my boundaries need to be pushed back. They need to be pushed back. They do not respond to a reasonable request for a respect of a difference in belief, right? So you're not marching up to your parents and trying to convert them to atheism or pretending that they're atheists, right? Of course not. I have no desire to do that. Right. So you are saying, you agree, you believe this, I don't. Uh, Let's let's drop it. Let's agree to disagree and so on. It's not worth it. Uh, I'd rather have a relationship than combat over non-existent things, right? Yeah. Now, if... Your parents or whoever are not of that same approach, then they're going to keep bringing it up and keep bringing it up. And they're going to bring it up in these oblique kinds of ways where they just pretend that you are not who you are, that you are some good Christian boy, right? That is my experience, yes. Right. And uh, you can try talking about it with them and you can try reminding them. But in my experience, it's just my experience, could be completely different for you. But in my experience, you just – you have to push back. There has to be a scene. If, if just uh, – uh, if a reasonable request – like stop pretending that I'm religious. Please, stop pretending that I'm religious. It bothers me. It upsets me. I don't like it. I'm not going to pretend that you're an atheist. Don't pretend that I'm a Christian. That's a reasonable thing to request, isn't it? Sure. And What do you think is going to happen I mean, if you say that? You know, I I don't know, and it's and it's yes, really you know. easy for yes, me. You know, you know, it, <laughs> you know. Come on, this is your parents. You know, and I, I'm not trying to. Right? You, you could be fine, but but don't tell me you don't know because you've known these people for, as you said, almost thirty years, right? If yeah, you don't know them, I, you don't know anyone, right? I I guess I don't know is just an excuse for not answering the question, huh? So yeah, I've heard that one before, uh, <laughs> and I yeah, I do it to myself too, but that but you know. If if I were to say that, they would probably they'd probably be very upset. Yeah, but um, what I mean is, what do you think would happen next week or next month? Do you think that they would uh, respect your uh, preference? Well, I don't think they would respect it, but given my mom's very passive aggressive way of dealing with things i mean she's she's not she's not bold and out front and up and up forward about what she believes and it's just because she feels uncomfortable with it obviously and so she would probably just you know put that in the back of her mind and let it fester but she and then more comments may come up or whatever right 
Yeah, as as it builds up over the next year or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. So uh, look, I mean, it, it may be that your dream is telling you that there's just going to ha- you're just going to have to really make yourself clear about this. Uh, you know, if not for you, also for the sake of your kids who are going to be spending your time around your mom and dad and who I assume you're not going to raise to be, uh, you know, devout little Christians. So uh, you're going to have to be firm. You're going to have to, you know, drive over some toes, so to speak, to to get uh, to get your uh, legitimate and I think reciprocal needs met. Uh, in my experience, people like people who don't listen to reason, uh, who don't listen to reasonable requests, who won't respect differences of, of belief and uh, you just you know you just have to be more you know more more assertive and if there needs to be a scene then there needs to be a scene but but they, i mean i think that for, for there to be a relationship there at least has to be a live and let live um reciprocity sure that makes sense and I, I think that's i think that's what your dream is about that's that's my guess but uh, i mean you know there's no way to know for sure but that that would be my my guess Sure. So because okay. right now you're stuck, right? You, 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 they're not respecting your beliefs, and you're not uh, asserting your demand that they do so. Well, yeah, and and I mean, obviously, the, it gets complicated more because I work for my mom. Oh yeah, and of so course. It's like I've I've got that I've got that personal relationship I'm trying to keep, and I've got the business relationship, right. Which, you know, and and this stuff enters into the business relationship, which I'm really. I mean, do do you think I should quit my job and 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 separate myself from that, or? Uh, oh, dude, you know, you're, I mean, you're asking me questions that I can't. This is something you would discuss with your with your wife and your, and and your family well, as a whole, right? So uh, well, I, I can't. Well, of tell course, you. I mean, would that would that be unheard of for you, or? No. I mean, would that be something no, it, to it be, consider, or? I, I mean, I'm looking for options to. Sure. You, you know, you're looking for options myself. other than sitting down and having this conversation, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I suppose you could say that. Yeah, it's, it seems like it. Yeah, yeah, I could be wrong, but uh, it seems like it, which I understand. I mean, it's a terrifying conversation to have to sit down and say, "Look, uh, you keep talking to me as if I'm still a Christian. Uh, I'm not. Uh, it's not a phase. Even if it is a phase, I need you to respect where I am at at the moment. I'm not going to try and convert you to atheism. I'm not going to talk to you as if you're atheists, but uh, I really need you to respect where I'm at. Even if you don't respect the content, I need you to respect that that's where I'm at and not pretend otherwise because it's upsetting to me. Yeah. Okay. Look, it's so, not an abusive thing to say. It's 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 reciprocal. It's UPB because you're doing it too. So it's a reasonable thing to to ask for. And look, it's going to be confusing to your kids if your kids are over with you and your grand and their grandparents, and they're telling you to pray and you don't believe in God. That's confusing for them, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, that that actually brings up another question. Uh, you you know you know how kids are. They love grandparents. And it's like I'm I'm concerned about the amount of influence that I that I allow them to have over my kids, um, and obviously that'll that'll stir some huge issues. You know, if if I just never come around or I shield them from it, I don't want to shield my kids from you know anything because I mean, I'm not you know that'd be extremely hypocritical for me. Listen, I, I would tell you, I would, I would tell you straight up what I think about this, and uh, okay. I'm very strong about this. Uh, and you can, you can ditch it as complete bullshit if you think so. But I'll, I'll tell you what I think straight up. 
That, I would take uh, your opinion. Uh, look, I, I would not let people talk to my daughter about her sin. I would not let people talk to my daughter and tell her that the best and most noble being in the whole universe died because she was sinful, that she was a, uh, the cause of a murder of the very best human being who ever lived. Uh, that, to me, is staggeringly abusive to a child. I would not let anybody tell my daughter that she was always being watched, that she was always being judged, and that she had to obey a ghost, or the ghost would put her in hell forever. Children, like you and I can, can look at those things and say, well, that's, you know, that's pretty strong, or that's sort of a metaphor, or that's, you know, who believes that? But children are not adults. Children do not have the ability to reject information that is obviously false. I mean, there's a reason that we tell three-year-olds about Santa Claus and not 40-year-olds. So I am extremely strong on the uh, reality that you do, not, you do not expose your children to religious teachings as if those teachings are true. I'm not going to hide the fact that there is religion in the world for my daughter. I mean, there are people who believe these things. These things are not true. And I suppose but, you will you will teach your or your daughter will learn eventually about Greek mythology and about you know every other every other every other thing that uh, you know people have believed. Absolutely, um, uh, religion is an important part of cultural heritage. Religion is an important part of the world. Uh, in the same way that I will teach her about fascism, and eventually she will learn about the Nazis. But that doesn't mean that I want to expose her to Nazi indoctrination. And for her to become a Nazi, I just want her to learn about Nazism because it's part of history. Sure, uh, you know I I I have to laugh. Um, what what the what you, your response to that actually is pretty profound to me because that I mean I, those are the words that I've been looking for. You know what I mean? It's like that. I, that is just beautiful. And uh, look, how much would you have given to have never been told as a child? that you were sinful and corrupted and tempted by the devil? How much as a child would you have given to have never been threatened with the internal fucking microwave of hell? Can I mean, I, that shit was crazy. Can I share a, a, just a short little personal anecdote about that? Yeah, please. Um, when I was about probably seven or eight or nine, somewhere in that time frame, I remember going to a Sunday school class, and uh, my Sunday school teacher was teaching us about, um, you know, the plan that our Heavenly Father has for us, you know, and and this teacher, um, she uh, she brought up about, you know, where you go after you die, and uh, she mentioned something about, you know, a good place and a bad place. And then she said, but you all are going to the good place because, you know, you're innocent or, you know, or, or whatever, because you're doing, you know, whatever her reasoning was. But see, the thing is, is I specifically remember doing something bad the night before, you know, I probably touched myself or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, when I heard that in my mind, I was thinking, oh yeah, all of my friends in this room are going to go to the good place and I'm going to go to the bad place. And um, I have to tell you, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just about to cry right now, but uh, I, went, I went to some therapy kind of stuff last year. 
and I explored some of that stuff, and I just realized how much of a profound influence that has for you know for for a child to believe that he's going to be going to hell. You know, it's just it's horrible. I mean, you know, and and I I got to look at some of my negative thought patterns, my negative my negative habits, and a lot of that I can attribute to that instance. You know, that point in time when I and and she didn't even have to say it. You know, I said it to myself. Yeah, you know, you understand. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this shit I, this shit is told to children because it works. The children have no defense against adult authority. They have no defense against it. They have no comparison. They do not have philosophy. They do not have wisdom. They do not have experience. They must swallow whole whatever shit sandwich the culture and the religion is feeding to them. They have no choice. They have no capacity to fundamentally reject these things. So it is so essential that you control and manage what is going into your child's mind as much as you would control and manage what goes into your child's stomach. Sure. So going back to my question there, if I take my kids over there, I know that they're going to they're going to be getting that. And you know, it, even if it's in subtle ways, I know that that's what my parents are going to be serving them. Mm. And I But you sorry, you, you can go he, over and uh, you can you can be with them, right? So that there's some capacity to manage the message or whatever, right? Well, sure. I, I, I mean, my my mom was trying to uh, talk me into having her take my kids to church with them today. She's like, no way for that. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's just, yeah. Let, let me give you one other thing, too, if you don't mind, uh, just hopefully to make sure. the case even stronger. Uh, I, I've talked a lot about how destructive it is to threaten children with eternal hell and judgment and, and original sin and all that kind of shit. But... But it's not just it's not just the negative, you know, the, the 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 love of Jesus, the love of God. God loves you. Jesus loves you. I think that to me is equally and sometimes more damaging to children. Because saying that you are the fetish of a ghost, I don't think gives children a very healthy sense of what human love is all about what what mature eventually mature love that they're going to have is is all about it's it's an old truism that jesus is the boyfriend who never disappoints right because <laughs> jesus you know he just loves you it's just a love bomb and god just loves you god loves you and i remember being told that kind of stuff when i was a kid jesus loves you oh why why, why does Jesus love me? Does he also love the, the mean kids who, who torture other kids? Does he also love the kids who trip uh, other kids? Yes, he loves them too. So, so basically, Jesus just loves everyone. Jesus is just a, a heart whore. Uh, Jesus, Jesus doesn't, he just loves everyone. Oh, but he can turn on you if you disobey him. He can turn on you and send you to hell forever. And hell, of course, was invented by Jesus. At least the Old Testament God let you die and rot in your grave without an eternal vengeance. It takes a special kind of passive aggression to come up with hell. But the idea of being loved by a ghost, of being stalked obsessively by a ghost who could read my mind and who loved me, I mean, that's some creepy-ass shit. If any human being did one-tenth of one percent of what God and Jesus are supposed to do in terms of watching and judging, 
I mean, they'd be locked away faster than that crazy bitch who said she was Leonardo DiCaprio's wife and stalking him. It is really dangerous to associate love with non-existent beings because it opens children up to needing that love and then being manipulated, right? Because it's not real. Like, nobody can come up to me and say, your wife doesn't love you. I mean, they can come up to me and say it. I'm just going to laugh at them, right? Because I know how much she loves me. But when you say to a child, God loves you, Jesus loves you, it's an imaginary love. And because it's an imaginary love, it can be taken away. Oh, Jesus doesn't love you now. Oh, shit. So you become enslaved to people telling you whether this imaginary being is loving you or not loving you. So it turns love into a kind of enslavement to the whims of unstable people. And that is not at all a healthy message. I think it's a profoundly unhealthy message to give to children. My imaginary friend really loves you. Oh, now he really hates you. Oh, he loves you again. Hates you, loves you. Oh, he loves you. You're going to burn in hell. No, he loves you now. I mean, holy crap. How is that going to give a child any sense of stability and permanence and trust in loving relationships? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you right now that the love that I have for them is, just surpasses any, any of that. I mean, you know, there's nothing I would not do for my daughters. And I mean, I can't say any more than that to do it justice. No, I, I hear you. So. I absolutely hear you. Um, I, I completely and totally understand that. I mean, they are everything. They are everything. So and they, anyway. need, they need your protection. They need your protection. Because they, they cannot judge whether gods exist or not. They cannot judge what awaits them after death, if anything. They simply cannot judge. And maybe when they're 20, they'll judge and say, okay, it's buddy Jesus for me. Well, they can make that choice as adults, of course, right? But um, you, need to keep your, you need to keep your children free from indoctrination. That is, that is essential, in my, in my opinion. Well, uh, well, good. Uh, I, I, of course, I agree with that. Um, and, and I was sorry, just, the last I thing. Was, sorry, the last. Let, let me just say one last thing, just with regards to your sure. dream app. To make sure I get to the next caller because we spent quite a time. But, but oh, oh, that's but, fine. But you, that's you fine. also said that um, that your parents blamed your wife for some of your atheism, right? Oh yeah. And in oh, your yeah. dream, who was the guy attacking who jumped into the flatbed truck? My wife. Right. Do you see the connection? I think that there could be a connection there. That was that was actually explore. I think there could be. I think the key thing to do is to talk about this with your wife and meditate about it and and write about it. Talk to a therapist if you can. But uh, see, it, you, you know you're on the right track if the dreams stop repeating themselves or if they change fundamentally. Or you know what you can do is in the dream, if you're at all conscious of this or you're conscious of the choice, try hitting the gas. Yeah. See what. Drive over some toes. It's just a dream. It's not like you're doing anything really harmful, but just just try and then see if that breaks breaks the rep- repetition of the dream. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. I'll 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 uh, stew on that. All right. So, and congratulations for what you're doing. I know I I heap out steaming piles of praise in this show, but uh, I I just wanted to to just give you my huge kudos for what you're doing uh, in terms of raising your children free of. Uh, superstition, terrifying superstitions, and uh, your commitment, your obvious commitment and, and love as a father, and you know, massive congratulations to your wife as well 
uh, for what she's doing. Uh, I just, I think it's just completely beautiful. You guys, uh, I swear to God, you will have statues erected to you in 150 years. Uh, most of the listeners on this show, uh, because what we're doing is that important. But uh, huge, huge congratulations and admiration from me, at least. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Thanks. All right. Are we back to Schadenfreude? Hi, Steph. Hello. Hi. Um, um, can I talk? I believe you are. Okay. Um, well, first, I want to thank you very much for um, well all these shows uh, you have given. Um, uh, I have uh, thanks to you. Um, yes, uh, get rid of a lot of uh, uh, bad relationships, and um, I'm also uh, improving some other relationships, and also finding new new relationships that are much better. And um, yes, um, uh, much uh, goes to you. Uh, um, uh, and um, but I'm I would like to ask you a, a question about um, investing money. Um, do you know Harry Brown, his permanent portfolio? I know Harry Brown's permanent for- portfolio only to the degree that he talked about it in his Sunday show from a number of years back, or his weekly show a number of years back, and that I believe he he's into. 25% stocks, 25% bonds, 25% gold, and 25% cash so that you are balanced. You have a balanced portfolio for any economic extremity. Is that is that fair? That's exactly correct. Um, so, um, and um, but now I have this permanent portfolio, but um, I have uh, uh, some doubts about it on the moral sense. So, uh, you have 25% cash and 25% bonds, and both are investment uh, investment in government bonds. Eh? So, actually, 50% of the portfolio are government bonds, and um, well, first I, I think it will be a very bad investment, but. At the other hand, I will agree with Harry Brown that it is possible that it will prove to be the best investment also. Eh? So you cannot know that for sure. But what I'm sure about is that morally, it's a really horrible investment. Hmm? Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I was hoping that maybe I can get rid of them uh, based on some moral uh, theory uh, rather than the, the other argument. Uh, but um, for that, I would... Uh, I would I would need your help uh, to know if 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 there is any I mean, if it is right reasoning to say look uh, government bonds eh, it's not morally good so for that reason you can kick them out of your portfolio. Uh, and what's the argument as to why it's morally bad to uh, own government bonds? Well, uh, that's uh, you've learned me that. <laughs> Uh, because uh, they do bad things with the money. Hmm? Well, yeah, I mean, they do some things that are necessary with the money. Give, I mean, the government has a monopoly on roads. Roads need to be repaired. The government has a monopoly on certain kinds of health care, depending on where you are. The government does use it to provide health care. And uh, so some of these things would have to be provided in a free society. So it's not, I don't know, which country do you live in? Uh, you're in the Netherlands. Okay, so it's not like you're the belly of the beast imperial power of of, uh, uh, of uh, America or anything like that. So, I mean, the Netherlands is fairly benevolent, uh, at least relative to some of the war machines uh, out here in the further west. Uh, it's investing in stuff that is, you know, some of it would be necessary in a free society. So it's not like you're paying for government death squads in Guatemala or 
you know, bunker busting bombs for uh, Afghanistan or Iraq, right? Yes, yes. Also, also. Uh, what's your tax rate, my friend? Uh, here, well, uh, just on capital or on work, it's you're easily you pay fifty percent taxes. And are you paying taxes also on your capital gains on your your investments? Yes, also, also, it's one percent per year. Right, so over fifty percent, and you know, probably closer to sixty or seventy percent or more over the lifetime of your investment is going to to the government, right? Uh, well, it's um, uh, that's it's very general. Uh, when you invest capital, yes. You no, no, sorry, to- sorry. Let me let me be more specific. It, it is very specific that your salary is being taxed at fifty percent, right? Yes. Now, when you buy government bonds, you are uh, giving your money to the government, and they are going to pay you back that money, uh, the interest over a certain period of time, uh, and then you can sell to get your principal back, right? Yes. And uh, w- roughly what percentage is, uh, you go- is your government bonds uh, paying out at the moment? Uh, 4% for uh, the long-term bonds and uh, uh, almost no percent for the short-term bonds. And is there inflation in the Netherlands at all at the moment? Right now, um, very low inflation. Right. Okay. So you're getting a few a few points back. Do you think? Let me make this argument. Do you think that if somebody steals your bicycle, that you have the right to to take it back if you find it unattended? Yes. I I agree with you. Uh, so uh, the government is taking your money. That's a system that was set up long before you were born, and through government bonds, you can take some of it back, right? Um, y- yes, but that's 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 at this moment, uh, Steph. It's very possible that uh, in a few years I will lose a lot of money on those government bonds. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. We're talking about the ethics. We're not talking about the pragmatics, right? Because your question was around the ethics, right? Ah, yes. Right, so forget about gains or losses. I mean, I I can't speak to gains or losses on Netherlands government bonds. I have no idea, right? But I can hopefully come up uh, with some useful stuff around the ethics of it, right? Oh, yes. I will tell you you my my secret. Ah, I've got a secret. I'm now revealing. I am revealing the secret without even the webcam and the donkey. But this is uh, the secret. The secret to freedom, my friend, is to live like there is no government. To live like there is no government. So I pay them. I've got an accountant. He makes sure everything is is tickety-boo, and he pays off the government. And then I don't really think about the government that much. I have to give them my money. I don't have to give them my attention as well, right? If the mafia comes to your store and says, give me $1,000 a month, and you decide to give them the $1,000 a month, then give them the $1,000 a month, but don't give them one second more of your mental energy because then you're paying double or triple. So if you sit there tossing and turning all month, oh, this $1,000 is so unjust, so wrong, these thugs, they're so nasty, blah, 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 then you're paying $1,000 plus 20% of your mental energy. Now, the $1,000 you have to pay. 
if you're going to do that route. The 20% of your mental energy, eh, you don't have to pay that. I mean, don't throw good thoughts after bad money. And so you have, to, you have to pay this money. You have to pay this 50% or go live in the woods or whatever, which in the Netherlands may not be that much fun. So you pay, you pay the government your money, and then you live like there's no government. You live like there's no government. Don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. Don't read the newspaper and get all tense about it. I mean, I do some of this stuff for the show, but even I've been sort of falling away from the true news stuff just because it's so boring. <laughs> it's always the same thing. The government is lying. The truth is the opposite of what's being claimed. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just boring. Uh, the government is just boring. It's, it's, it's always going to fail. It's always going to lie. It's always going to be brutal. It's always going to house sociopaths. It's always going to be... I mean, eventually you just, you just get bored. The mafia is always going to do bad things. But at least they don't claim to be virtuous. <laughs> the government will always claim to be virtuous. So you just live like there's no government. So you've got an investment choice. One of those investment choices is government months. It's just another investment choice. I mean, if I were you, I just I would make the decision based on rational calculations of what I wanted in my portfolio. I wouldn't give a second thought as to the ethics and the right and the wrong and this because there's no end to that, right? You understand? I can't walk on government roads because blah blah blah, right? If I pay my fifty percent taxes, then the government is going to use that to do bad things. Pay them, pay them, pay them, and live free within your own mind. Pay them off. Make your choices. Make the compromises that you need to make to live in a system that you did not make, which we all loathe, I think. But you don't have to give them your time and attention and energy as well. Um, Steph? Yes. But I, I, I don't have to buy government bonds either. No, you don't. So I, make not... the decision based on a rational calculation. But forget about the ethics of the situation. There is no ethics of the situation. The money's been stolen from you at gunpoint. And w w what does it matter after that? If you get some of it back, great. If you don't want to, then don't. But th there's no ethics after your money gets stolen. Now you're in a state of nature. If you can steal it back, steal it back. I mean, you know, honestly and, you know, through the rules or whatever, right? But uh, there's no... There's no ethics after the money. The money's stolen. And after that, I just, I don't see where, where the ethics are. Um, well, the, 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 for me, the moral dilemma is that Harry Brown, he learned me that uh, you really need to invest in a, your money that you cannot afford to lose. You really need to invest it in a permanent portfolio because only then your capital will be protected in every climate. And he's very right about that. But the consequence being now that half of my money is lent uh, to the government. And that's what I don't like. At it's, not lent. it's not lent to the government. The government has destroyed so many investment opportunities through the taxation that you're subject to. That you're not lending the government money. You're giving, you, 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 you're forced in a sense, if you want any decent returns, to give some of your money to the government. But it's not, it's not a choice. I mean, if you were in a free society, you wouldn't say, well, what I really want to do is invest in a monopoly of violence. <laughs> and you wouldn't go around to create that and you wouldn't have any luck selling it. So it's nothing, that, nothing to do with the government is a choice. And uh, I mean, yes, you can choose whether you want to invest 
but there's there's no morality in that. It's it's I mean to take an extreme example, it's like it's like you're in a concentration camp and you're like, "Well, I don't want to break the window to escape because that's destroying property, which isn't mine." It's like, "No, you're in a concentration camp. You can stay, you can break out if you want, depending on how much risk you want to take or whether you want to wait it out." But the, there's no morality in the decision. Morality occurs in a situation of voluntary choice. And given how much control the government has in the Netherlands, given how high the taxation rates are, given how much other investment has been killed off because of that, you're in a situation of base pragmatism. You're not in a situation of... Free choice, right? So if you lock me in your basement and I have to break a window to escape, I'm not going to worry about the ethics of destroying your property. But if you haven't locked me in a basement, I'm walking down the street and I just decide to go and kick in your window, well, then that's an ethical situation because I'm in a situation of free choice. There's so little free choice, if any, that's left in a statist environment, particularly one like the Netherlands, where you guys have a government as big as some people think my ego is. (laughs) Right, So you can choose to invest. You can choose not to invest. I wouldn't say that either one of those is a particularly moral decision, though. Don't have morals higher than the people you're dealing with. That's the sucker game that ethicists and, and morals, moralists and philosophers always get caught in. Don't have really high moral standards when you're dealing with a predatory agency like the state. It's, it's just a pragmatic choice. Anyway, that's, I mean, that's, that's my argument. I mean, I hope that it's of some use. Um, yeah, well, I was hoping uh, to uh, find a way out uh, of, the, of those government bonds. Um, um, and, and if uh, you want to, look, sorry, if you want to, then, then go ahead. I just, I just don't think you should feel compelled to by some moral uh, decision because you're in a statist environment in the economy. In the economy. Well, but that's what Harry Brown succeeded in doing, just that giving a really strong moral argument to buy those government bonds. Eh? And the moral argument he gives is uh, that it's the only way to protect your capital in every climate. Eh? And so that's that's the, mor- the moral, and he's right about that, so that's uh, now I'm morally obliged uh, to, 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 and I also did it, to buy those bonds. Right. Uh, but is it the correct reasoning from Harry Brown? Well, I mean, well, yeah. Can you imagine doing that yourself, uh, having a permanent portfolio? I certainly can. And there's there are some things that I don't particularly feel too good about, right? So somebody's posting in the chat window about, you know, investing in, in Halliburton, uh, which is a government, uh, government contractor. Well, yeah, I, I personally wouldn't be a big fan of investing in uh, uh, in uh, organizations that directly supply weaponry to the state. But I also recognize that it's not black and white because what about the people who, uh, let's say, I invest in, in a truck company. Well, Halliburton buys those trucks and uses it to ship the guns to the state. What if I invest in a mining company? Well, the mine extracts metal from the ground, which is then used to build the guns. What if I invest in whatever? A factory that makes glassware. Well, I don't know. Maybe the powder for the guns is shipped in that glassware. I mean, there's just there's no way to escape or avoid it. I'm just, to me, that's just a huge quagmire. Now, I, I generally prefer not to do it, but I don't, 
the, the moral issue is that there's a, an agency that can initiate the use of force at whim. The moral issue is not fundamentally how do you find a way of protecting your money from the continual inflationary rate by the government. I mean, if you can find some way to do it, maybe it involves investing in things that are unsavory. But I just, I don't, to me, that's not, that's not a fundamental moral issue. The fundamental moral issue is the initiation of force. You are not initiating force by choosing to invest in the government. Uh, if, uh, 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 if you choose to keep your money in cash, the government is going to take some percentage points of your money through inflation every year anyway, even if you hide it under your mattress. If you put it in the bank, the government is going to take some money through its taxes on, on banks, its uh, corporate uh, profits taxes, its taxes upon whatever service fees you get charged. I mean, there's, there's simply no way to escape your – to get your money away from the government, right? You see, even if you convert it to gold and hide it under your bed, <laughs> it, it's still going to be subject to some deflationary pressure – sorry, sorry, some inflationary pressures and, and the government can just make that illegal any time that it wants, as it has done repeatedly in the past, and then your gold becomes a liability. Right, so uh, th in those kinds of situations, I just think it's really important to focus your moral energies on helping people to understand the moral evil of the initiation of force and of the state and of in the indoctrination of children. I think that's that's the key thing to to focus on. I, I wouldn't spend a lot of time and energy worrying about my investments from a moral standpoint. I think the important thing is to be free within your mind and. I think, I mean, I think that um, my wife got some government bonds from, I don't know, someone in the past. And yeah, we've, we've cashed them in. I, I mean, I just, I, 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 there's so many important moral issues to deal with in the world. I'm just not going to sit there and, and worry myself to death about what percentage of money could be going to the government from these bonds as opposed to some other place. And, and I mean, my government is involved in a war in Afghanistan. So, yeah, some of the money from those government bonds is doubtless going to fund those wars. So I'm going to speak out passionately against the immorality of war and the immorality of institutionalized violence. I'm just not going to spend my time and mental energy worrying about 50 bucks here or there or 150 bucks or 5,000 bucks here or there to the government because they just own that anyway. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Steph, uh, for your feedback. Um, yeah, I'm sorry if it wasn't satisfying, but but those are just my opinions, and you know I'm not going to say I'm going to go to the ramparts to, for them, but that's certainly where where I'm coming from. Okay, thank you uh, very much, Steph. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. All right. I think we may have time for one more caller if you do not have a monster topic, but have a smaller one. Ooh, Delhi. Uh, somebody says, Steph, read your recent 9-11 vid. How can someone as intelligent, evidence-led, and generally skeptical of government propaganda as yourself believe something as ridiculous as the official 9-11 narrative? Are you aware that over 1,200 architects and engineers are on record as saying that there is overwhelming evidence to suggest that Building 7 was taken down by controlled demolition on that day, including physical evidence of high-tech incendiaries, nanothermite found in the WCC dust? Or is it a tactical decision that you have decided to adopt a mainstream view on this issue? All right. Let's do the 9-11 thing. If you want, I can do that for 10 minutes. 
I have never said that I accept the official 9-11 narrative. The official 9-11 narrative is that they hate us for our freedoms, right? I mean, what nonsense. Uh, I've completely debunked that. So um, I have never said that I accept the 9 I assume that the government is lying to us about 9-11, just as they lied to the general public about why they bombed the living shit out of innocent civilians in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, just as they lied about people getting into... Korea, just as they lied about the Gulf of Tonkin incident that was supposed to have sparked off the Vietnam War, just as they lied about the amount of damage being done to Cambodia, just as they lied about the body counts in Vietnam, just as they lied about the origins of the Gulf War, just as they lied about the origins of 9-11. I, I assume that they're lying. Of course they're lying. Of course they're lying. How do you know that the government is lying? It's breathing. So, yeah, I, I assume that. Um, I don't believe, I personally don't believe that there were no planes over New York. Uh, I don't believe that they were planes were stuffed with dummies, that people were shuffled off the planes and then put in mincemeat grinders and then the bodies were scattered. I'd, I just don't believe any of that. Uh, I, just, I just don't believe any of that. Uh, there's, there's so much evidence. For, I mean, God, think of the amount of evidence that we have about 9-11, video footage from every conceivable angle. And then there was that one Zapruta film for JFK. One Zapruta film for JFK. And people were wasting time on that bullshit for 30 fucking years or more. Now it's finally gone to rest because everyone swarmed over to 9-11. Well, Jesus Christ. The United States, I mean, JFK got, got the U.S. into a war which killed millions and millions of North and South Vietnamese and, Vietnamese and Cambodians and was a direct cause of the further genocide against the Cambodians through the Khmer Rouge. And so what's so astounding about the truther movement, and I'm sorry if I'm a little impatient, it's not to do with you, it's just that every time I mention anything to do with 9-11, I get six million people swarming me on YouTube and on my inbox saying all this kind of stuff. Oh, it's completely obvious, controlled demolition, blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit? I mean, it's like I went through all of this shit with JFK, people who said that JFK was, was shot by... I don't know, 12 people and a gremlin and uh, the, the Grinch. And it's like, it's like three fucking million Asians are slaughtered by the U.S. government, but the only death that people care about is one guy with back pain and the Prince of Marilyn Monroe's ass on his hands. One guy is the only thing that people care about. You've got three million bodies on the one side that are completely incontrovertible that are not denied, fully accepted, and that's a low estimate. Three million bodies on the one side, half a goddamn holocaust. And everybody swarms all over and is just obsessing about JFK. One guy who died. So let's say the CIA killed JFK. One body, three million bodies, or 25 million bodies if you want to count the true costs of U.S. imperialism, or uh, so to, to count the, um, the Native Americans who were slaughtered by the millions. So this is what is so strange to me about the 9-11 truthers. It's like, why would you want to pick the one goddamn thing that is the most controversial, complicated, and unprovable thing that you could find? Government conspiracy to kill Americans? The government lied America into Iraq, where almost twice the number of Americans have died than died in 9-11. And that's incontrovertible. Nobody who got any brains or who's looked it up, ever defends the ridiculous way in which America got into Iraq. So there's the government lying and covering up 
the deaths and murders of obviously hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, but also thousands of Americans. I don't know what the death count is, four or 5,000 now and 20,000 wounded. And that's just combat deaths. I mean, many other people have died in training and, and accidents and so on. So to focus on 9-11 is to me a cowardly out. I don't mean everyone's a coward. I'm just saying, like, hear the argument and then tell me how I'm wrong. Government lied about Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Government lied about Korea. Government lied about Vietnam. Government lied about uh, every war that it's ever gotten into. You know, read The War Racket by Harry Brown, to speak of a good writer, uh, and, and you'll see. So why pick the one where there's all of this contradiction? Mean, the Gulf of Tonkin is clear. It's a clear hoax. It's admitted. It's understood. It's done. There's no controversy. So why not focus on that? And, and the fact that there is no controversy about the Gulf of Tonkin hasn't changed a goddamn thing. <laughs> According to Noam Chomsky, there was a, a group of, uh, uh, in the American government who used to periodically leak new information about the JFK shooting just to keep, quote, activists away from the real bodies. Ooh, JFK, ooh, this, ooh, there's a Pruder film, ooh, this angle, oh, let's get Oliver Stone involved and Kevin Costner's really convincing and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's the same thing with 9-11. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's been nine years now. It's been nine years. And there still is no smoking gun. There still is no proof. Now people say, well, there is proof. No, there is no proof. There's evidence here and there. 1,200 people signed this. You know, fucking 20,000 people have signed about global warming, and I don't believe that for a moment. It's anthropogenic global warming. The truth is not democratic. I don't care how many people sign petitions here, there, and, and everywhere. You, you, you simply cannot replace a master's or a PhD level in structural engineering by spending a couple of hours looking at videos on the internet. You can't do it. If you can do it, then let's get rid of these stupid programs and just have people look at a couple of videos on the internet and we'll call them masters or PhDs in engineering. You can't do it. The evidence is all gone. It's all been buried. It's all been taken away. It's long gone. There's no paper trail. There's nothing. So let, let this shit go. You, d you don't need it. You don't need it. As I said before, it's like trying to convict Ted Bundy on a highly contested parking ticket. Wow, we've got a photo of Ted Bundy's car going through a red light, but we can't be quite sure because it's a little bit blurry. But from this angle, it seems to be more like Ted Bundy. And there's a guy in it who looks like Ted Bundy, but we're not quite sure. It's like you've got dozens of bodies that he's already confessed to. Why, why, why would you bother worrying about a parking ticket? And I know it's a harsh thing to say that 9-11 was a parking ticket, but in terms of the death count, the body count of the American government, it is a parking ticket. And I fully accept that the U.S. government was responsible for 9-11. I mean, you go over to uh, these crazy countries and you keep killing people, even if you go to non-crazy countries and keep killing people then you're responsible. So you've got this brutal foreign policy and you keep, you, you trained the Mujahideen to bankrupt the Soviets and then they turn around and want to bankrupt the American government too because we're as oppressive or you're as oppressive in the Middle East to use the collective as the Russians ever were. So yeah, US government is responsible for 
because they put the Shah into power in 1953 in Iran, because they funded Saddam Hussein and put him in power in Iraq, because they went in and invaded Kuwait, because they caused the deaths of millions of Iraqis through the embargoes throughout the 1990s. Yeah, I have no problem with it, but you don't need 9-11 to establish that the U.S. government is responsible for 9-11. You don't need the controversy. You don't need controlled demolition. You don't need... Where did the wings of the plane go in the Pentagon? You don't need blurry footage with frames missing. You don't need any of that stuff. You don't need little flashes on the bottom of the planes, which may be the sun and may not be and blah, blah, blah. You just don't need it. And it's such a waste of energy that could be used for so many more productive things in bringing the incontrovertible truth about the state to people. Because right now... You can just, oh, the 9-11 stuff, all that's crazy. It's like the birther stuff. Who gives a shit what piece of paper hovered around in proximity to Barack Obama when he was born? It doesn't matter if he's born on the Muslim Mecca of Pluto. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have so many incontrovertible arguments for the immorality of the state at your fingertips. To focus on 9-11 is to avoid having the real conversations, the against-me argument with people about the incontrovertible nature of statist violence. You don't need any of that stuff, and to focus on it is simply a way of avoiding the core conversation that you need to have with people about the immorality of the state. Somebody said, but when you make vids of 9-11 and reference the official narrative, you undermine your credibility. With who? With who? With people who are chasing after the chimeric ghost of 9-11 rather than having real conversations about virtue and ethics? I mean, I've known all of this. I mean, you've seen, I've seen all of these conspiracy theories before. This is 9-11 is not new. I'm not, this is not my first time around the block. I've seen all of this stuff before. What was the point of 30 years of people obsessing about JFK? What was the point? What did it gain anybody? Which just bored a hell of a lot of people and confused and alienated a hell of a lot of people and wasted. Oh, you can't even imagine how many hundreds of millions of hours of otherwise available activism and advocacy for truth and virtue was wasted on that stupid assassination. It just, it just, it doesn't matter. It's, it's an avoidance mechanism. Uh, it's to do with childhood trauma. It, it has nothing to do with the pursuit of a moral case against the U.S. government. It doesn't have anything to do with that. That moral case is, is already proven. It's already established. People are by, they're stepping over the genuine bodies to chase after a ghost. And there's a reason that they're stepping over the genuine bodies. Uh, yeah, so my friends find it hard to watch your vids because they say, well, if you can't even get his facts right on 9-11. Well, fine. Then your friends probably shouldn't be watching philosophy. Your friends probably should not be watching philosophy if they think that my lack of interest in pursuing this topic of 9-11 is the sign of some grave problem with my integrity. Then they should, yeah, then they can continue 
to read their websites uh, and and they can continue to watch their videos with the ominous music and the little glints of light from here and there and what happened here and maybe there and this and that and the other and this guy says this and when they said pull WT7 maybe they meant pull I mean they can do all of that shit if they want I'm actually going to go out there in the world and try and encourage people to be better parents I'm actually going to go out in the world and I'm going to try and get people to talk to other people about virtue with the actual arguments of philosophy rather than the bullshit cloud dust of whatever happened to 9-11. So people can spend their time doing that. They can spend their time now nine goddamn years later obsessing about what happened with a particular plane glint from the belly as it went into the plane at slow motion. They can do that nine years later. Whereas I'm going to talk to experts and try and get the message out about peaceful child-rearing and living virtue in your personal relationships and becoming a beacon or a gateway through which people can see the world of the future because of your own personal freedom. And the truthers can go their way, and I will continue to go my way. And if I lose a few truthers along the way, well, that's just the cost of doing business, of actually getting some shit done in the world, rather than just obsessing about a potential crime from nine years ago, which will soon become 10, 11, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and people will still be fussing about it. Whereas those of us who are actually taking on the true causes of immorality will actually be laying some bricks down for a foundation for a new world, while other people will still be huddled over their computers looking at grainy videos from 30 or 40 years ago, wondering why their obsessions haven't freed the world. So yeah, if I alienate a few truthers, well, I can live with that, because my only other option is to give credibility to the truthers and imagine that even that this perspective is going to have anything to do with freeing the world. But it's not. It's not. It's not. Even if it were perfectly proven tomorrow that everything that the most outlandish truther says is true, it won't change a goddamn thing. The Bomb of the Brain series will tell us all about that. Even if it were proved tomorrow that uh, Dick Cheney's doppelganger twin flew the planes into the World Trade Center with David Icke's lizard pope as co-pilot, won't matter. People will then just reformulate their allegiance to the state in some other way because the allegiance to the state comes from the allegiance to the family. And so providing counter evidence to do with planes flying into buildings won't make a damn bit of difference. It won't. No, it's, it's look, it's, it's, just, it's just psychological trauma. Um, these are people who, uh, in my theory, it's just a theory. I mean, they just put it out there, right? Why, because it's, why? Why do people focus on this? Well, I, I believe that it's a way of avoiding the true pain of childhood, right? Lots of people had abusive parents uh, that nobody saw as abusive. Uh, they didn't see their parents as abusive. Their parents were, were pastors or well-respected people in the community, and then secretly at home they were drinkers and beaters and God knows what else, right? And so they've got this pattern where they're trying to bring this trauma to light. They're trying to bring this abuse to light. And they keep getting rejected by everyone in their community who says, oh, your father's a wonderful guy, a lovely guy. He would, uh, even if you bring anything up, he would never do that, blah, 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 blah. So they've got this pattern, this Simon the Boxer pattern of trying to expose a crime and continually being rebuffed and rejected for that. And rather than deal with that history, it then gets translated into 9-11 where they're continually trying to go to society, to mainstream society, and trying to get this 9-11 stuff out and continually being scorned and rejected. It's part of a psychological pattern, a Simon the Boxer thing that comes from early childhood. It's got nothing to do with the actual World Trade Center, good heavens. This is why it goes on and on and on, nine years later. 
because it doesn't serve the truth. It serves to shield people from the trauma of their own histories. Anyway, that's, um, that's my perspective for if you wanted it. As somebody said, I used to be a truther and I still know truthers now that use this to avoid childhood. Just what you and Steph are saying now. Yeah, look, hey, disagree. Look, I mean, the truthers are, you know, this is just my opinion. I, this is not a moral issue. I mean, this is the truthers aren't out there strangling the homeless, right? Uh, they're in pursuit of something that they feel is very important. I've made my case against it. Uh, truthers are welcome to say uh, he's, a, he's full of shit. He's a paid Mossad disinfo agent, whatever, right? Uh, they're free to continue uh, focusing on what they're doing. Uh, everybody tries to put their best efforts into building a better world. Uh, I don't doubt in many ways the sincerity of the truthers' belief and desire to get to the bottom of things and reveal about the evils and the blah, blah, blah. I have a, an entirely different opinion. I think I've got a lot of facts and evidence to back up where I'm coming from. But hey, you know, maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, maybe the childhood thing is completely wrong. And uh, if, if uh, the U.S. government's complicity in 9-11 is proven beyond a shadow of doubt that we'll get a better world without a government. Maybe. Uh, it's not my particular belief at all. But, uh, you know, keep, keep on trucking if, uh, uh, if that's where you want to go. Yeah, I looked into 9-11 stuff many years ago. I mean, it, it is quite fascinating, for sure. Uh, it's just, it, it, you know, it's, it's unresolvable and it's a huge waste of energy in this uh, stuff that, that if you want to talk about the evils of the state, I mean, there's, there's so much. I mean, geez, just, uh, I mean, talk about the evils of psychiatry, for Christ's sake. I mean, the fact that they, they're drugging 100 million people around the world for illnesses that don't even exist on any blood test or any medical scan. I mean, talk about that stuff. That's something that you that is incontrovertible, that the evidence is very clear and that there's no controversy about and that many, many people die. Uh, many, many people die throughout the world or kill others, uh, seemingly, or at least according to the evidence, as a direct result of the destabilizing effects of these psychotropic drugs. The fact that there's almost no patient consent, informed consent for psychotropic drugs. And people think that they have this chemical imbalance in the brain for which there is no test and no evidence. This voodoo, non-science or anti-science of, of psychiatry and, and drugging. I mean, that's something you can spend your energies productively combating. But, geez, 9-11, good Lord. Anyway. Well, are we getting some more questions? I absolutely and truly hugely appreciate it. We've had a stellar, stellar turnout. Um, but uh, uh, so thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, I'm going to just... Uh, 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 I'm just going to uh, uh, have to shut the show down now because I have to get back to my, my parenting or whatever. But um, uh, I really do appreciate everybody dropping by. I certainly do appreciate everybody's continued support of this program. I mean, this is a listener paid for uh, program. So I really do thank you uh, for that. And I really do uh, thank everybody who calls in. Uh, you guys are just amazingly brave. I, 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 am, I am emotional with admiration when uh, I hear about uh, what people are doing with philosophy in their lives. It is truly stellar and beautiful beyond words. So thank you and have yourselves an absolutely wonderful week. And I will talk to you soon.